Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by Father Stephen Dominic Hayes and Brother Bartholomew Maria Calvano. Let's begin with a prayer to Our Lady. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to speak today about the prayer of St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas was, of course, a towering intellect, a great teacher, a man of great learning, and yet he was also a man of great prayer. There's a wonderful book by Dominican Father Paul Murray called Aquinas at Prayer, which highlights this perhaps lesser known of St. Thomas, lesser known quality of St. Thomas Aquinas. There is a section in the beginning of this book where he kind of contrasts St. Thomas with Charles Darwin. Uh, Charles Darwin makes in his autobiography um, a lot of reference to the fact that his lifelong dedication to science had a very negative impact on his sensibility to appreciate the finer things of life. Darwin once wrote, Up to the age of 30 or beyond it, poetry of many kinds gave me great pleasure. Even as a schoolboy, I took intense delight in Shakespeare. But now for many years I cannot endure to read a line of poetry. I have tried lately to read Shakespeare and found it so intolerably dull that it nauseated me. I have also almost lost my taste for pictures or music. Darwin called this the atrophy of that part of the brain on which the higher tastes depend. My mind, he writes, seemed to have become a kind of machine for grinding general laws out of large collections of facts. And Father Murray writes, what a devastating end, what a tragic fate for a scholar. And that's not unique to Darwin, of course. Many people, when they're very focused on what their left-brain activity is doing, can eventually lose their ability to function in a creative way or even connect effectively to God and to the sacred. But Thomas Aquinas is certainly really a contrast to Darwin, at least in this sense. Thomas, towards the end of his life, um, always a man of prayer, it seems to have had a vision of God or certainly a deep spiritual experience um, after Mass on December 6, 1273. At that point, he decided not to take up his instruments of writing again. His bewildered assistant, Brother Reginald, said, Father, are you going to give up this great work? Referring, of course, to his Summa Theologiae. Thomas replied, I can't go on. Everything seems as so much straw in comparison with what I have seen and what has been revealed to me. And so we're going to speak today about what Thomas can teach us about prayer, what he can teach us about what we should pray for and and how we should pray and what our prayer should be like. We may not be towering intellects like St. Thomas, 
but we can certainly learn from him, who is a great teacher of the things of God, what it is to pray. And so we're going to first just talk about prayer um, in general. Um, Brother Bartholomew, you were, you were uh, speaking before the program of some ways that St. Thomas describes prayer, some ways that will be familiar to many of us. Mm-hmm. Yes, so St. Thomas makes sure to, to consider the, the history of the, the word prayer, and particularly that it comes from the word for petition, to ask something. And so that this is the, the, primary, uh, the, the primary meaning of prayer. There are, of course, other aspects of prayer, praise, adoration, and thanksgiving as well. But the, the principal thing that we do when we pray is to ask God for something. And this goes along with the, the other, the kind of main definition that St. Thomas uses for prayer, which is the, the lifting of the heart and the mind to God. And so when we lift our hearts and our minds to God, we know something and we want something, we desire something. And in that, we ask God for it as well. Um, and so we, the, the ultimate prayer is going to be to, to know and love God, to know and desire God. That's what the ultimate prayer is going to be. But there are many other prayers that we make while we're here on earth as well. And it's good to ask God for the things that we need. Right. So Thomas certainly um, saw prayer as petition. In fact, the very word in Latin, I believe, preces means, you know, petition. Um, he would have also been... Um, very suffused with the liturgy of the church, especially uh, in that time, wouldn't he, Father Hayes? Well, I'd say, you know, for our order, this is one of the the marks of our, our life. You know, in some ways, some of the earlier forms of religious life, like the Desert Fathers, you know, you were frequently at a distance from a church. And so much of the devotion of the day would revolve around uh, the study of the sacred scriptures, the recitation privately or with a couple of other brothers of the divine office. But um, but for us, from the beginning, we've been fin- founded as a, a synobium, that is, as a community. And that worship the community is focused on him who is contained uh, in, the, in the Holy Eucharist. So I think for us, yes, uh, for us, uh, we're... Um, I don't think it's so much that we are an order predominantly of priests. You know, and I don't think this is a, such a clerical spirituality, but I do think St. Thomas's spirituality is a Eucharistic spirituality. Here is the place where he who became man for us, who made the divine nature of God visible in human flesh, now makes that body, blood, soul, and divinity, again, tangible and visible uh, under the veil of the appearances of bread and wine. And you really see this in much of his poetry. People forget um, that he was not only a great scholar, not only a great preacher, but he was also a great poet. And he provided some very beautiful poetry, for, the, for instance, for the, for the Feast of Corpus Christi, the Solemnity of the Body and Blood of Christ. You know, and uh, you know, his the Lauda Zion, that hymn, which is part of uh, the... The uh, the uh, the worship of that day uh, has a wonderful wonderful theology of the uh, Holy Eucharist and directs directs the singer or the one who is reciting it to an authentic prayer. You know, we talked about it being petition. You know, aren't there other ends of prayer? Well, yeah, but if you're going to ask somebody 
something, you have to place yourself before them. That's for with God, we're talking adoration. You know, if you have you have to be in a state able to approach <laughs> this person, if you've you know you have to make up with them first, if you if you injured their honor or attacked them or hurt them badly, and and so we have you know um, contrition, you know, for our own sins, for our unworthiness in approaching uh, him who nevertheless wishes to be our loving Father, and then uh, if we are going to ask something, then. If we expect a reception, then Thanksgiving is in order, maybe even before we receive it. And so I think, yes, uh, Thomas's prayer is, it's profoundly theological, it's profoundly liturgical, uh, but it's also effective. You know, and this is where I think Mr. Darwin um, gives us an idea of, um, of how, how deadening a life without the use of those sensibilities is. So St. Thomas, um, having truly a Eucharistic uh, center in his life um, and, and who truly would have prayed on a regular basis the liturgy of the hours, um, whether he was in a priory with his fellow Dominican friars or whether he was traveling with maybe just one other friar, as he often did. He traveled quite far distances across Europe um, for, for, different, for different purposes he would have been um, praying the Psalms. He would have been celebrating the Mass. And in fact, that final mystical experience he had when he stopped, when he, in a sense, put down his pen was right after Mass um, in a particular day. So, so the introduction that we, we give to Aquinas is that he is one who is a great intellect, um, who certainly had a great, great power of reason, but who was always, always, um, connecting what he studied and, and what his work was to um, the very life of God, especially in the liturgy. You're listening to The Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by Father Stephen Dominic Hayes and Brother Bartholomew Maria, Maria Calvano, um, who is a transitional deacon, and we are discussing St. Thomas Aquinas and what he can teach us about prayer. So I'd like to now just turn to two different prayers that um, are attributed to St. Thomas. And these prayers are very beautiful, but in their own way, they're very simple. And, and, and we'll just, I'll just read the prayer for you. And then we'll, we'll discuss a little bit about each one. The first prayer is a prayer for the wise ordering of one's life. Here is this prayer. O merciful God, whatever is pleasing to you, may I, may I ardently desire, wisely pursue, truly recognize, and bring to perfect completion. For the praise and glory of your name, put order into my life and grant that I may know what it is you require me to do, and help me to achieve whatever is fitting and necessary for the good of my soul. May my my way, Lord, be yours entirely, upright and perfect, failing in neither prosperity nor adversity, so that in prosperity I give you thanks, and in adversity serve patience, neither exalted in the former nor dejected in the latter." 
May I not rejoice in anything unless it leads me to you, nor be saddened by anything unless it turns me from you. May I not desire to please or fear to displease anyone but you. May all passing things become worthless to me on your account, and all things that are yours be dear to me, and you, God, above all things. May all joy without you leave me tired and weary, and may I not desire anything apart from you. May all work that is done for you delight me, Lord, and all repose not centered on your presence be wearisome. Let me, my God, direct my heart to you often, and let me grieve over my failure with determination to change. Make me, my God, humble without pretense, cheerful without frivolity, sad without dejection, mature without heaviness, quick-witted without levity, truthful without duplicity. Let me fear you without despair, and hope in you without presumption. Let me correct my neighbor without hypocrisy, and without pride edify him by word and example, obedient without contradiction, patient without murmuring. Give me, dearest God, a vigilant heart, which no distracting thought can lure away from you. Give me a noble heart, which no unworthy desire can ever debase. Give me an unconquered heart, which no tribulation can fatigue. Give me a free heart, which no violent temptation can enslave. Give me an upright heart, which no perverse intention can hold fast. Grant me, Lord my God, intelligence in knowing you, diligence in seeking you, wisdom in finding you, conversation pleasing to you, perseverance in confidently waiting for you, and confidence in finally embracing you. Grant that as penance I may be afflicted with your hardships, as grace make use along the way of your favors, as glory delight in your joys in the fatherland. Amen. So reading this prayer about the wise ordering of one's life, we see something of the inner mind and heart of Thomas himself. We see what he desired, how he wanted to live his life, where he is making petition for this very, this very life, this ordered life, to God himself. Um, Brother Bartholomew, what are some, some things that you would say co- to comment on this prayer? Yes, the, the prayer is called a prayer for the wise ordering of one's life. And I think that that word wisdom is important to remember here. Uh, wisdom is something that St. Thomas spoke about frequently. And the, the idea of wisdom is that it's a proper ordering according to the highest principles. So it's putting the most important things first and the, the less important things later in their proper places. And that's what this entire prayer is about. It's about the ordering of one's life according to the, the most important things, which, first of all, for anyone and most obviously to Christians, that's God, that God has to be first. And so this entire prayer is asking for God to order our lives and to teach us how to order our lives. And it's a prayer that can be used for your entire life. Um, you don't see any particular circumstances in this mm-hmm. prayer. St. Thomas isn't asking for being able to, to write this book well or mm-hmm. being able to serve this mass well or being able to help this person well. He's asking for everything that he does and for all of his actions 
uh, to be directed towards God and to follow uh, the the will of God. And so um, this is a prayer that can be used at any point in one's life. And it's appropriate as a as a general ordering principle, but also it's it's very useful uh, to pray at individual times uh, to remind ourselves of whatever we are doing at this moment that it fits into the larger scope of our life, which has to be uh, directed towards God. I think um, for my part, it also provokes a crisis. Uh, you know, it's, this is, God is not a, an ideology. God is not a set of ideas. God is not a category of thought a la Kant. He is the ground of reality, of all reality, who is outside of reality, which the, means that in prayer to him, as Thomas prays this, you know, he's confronting the Most High, the ineffable, the one who is unspeakable. You can't put him into human words, like Job confronted the God in the whirlwind. You know, this is, I think, how you honestly approach God. We can't get, and Con Thomas, bright as he was, could not get his intellectual arms around God. If he did, it wouldn't be God. There's a great uh, line in that book where um, St. Thomas's position, this is quoting Victor White, you know, one of our Dominicans, St. Thomas's position differs from that of modern agnostics because while modern agnosticism says simply we do not know and the universe is a mysterious riddle, Thomas says we do not know what the answer is, but we do know that there is a mystery behind it all which we do not know. And if there would not, there would not even be a riddle. This unknown we call God. You know, If there were no God, there would be no universe to be mysterious, no, way to be to be, no one to be mystified. On the other side... You know, that a God you can define, a God you can embrace, you know, uh, instead of confront with, uh, with your intellect, is in fact a finite God, and therefore a false God, no God at all. And this is not, the, and it's Thomas in his prayer confronts the God who lives. I notice especially in this prayer that Thomas is always balancing um, he always, you might, you might at first sight think he's always wants to be right in the middle, never wants to go um, to any great length. But, but really, he's he wants all of his life to be completely in harmony with God, in tune with God. We might think of, say, tuning a, an instrument, you know, to to a, to a perfect pitch. He says, for example. May I not rejoice in anything unless it leads me to you, nor be saddened by anything unless it turns me from you. He wants to rejoice in what the Lord rejoices in. He wants to be saddened uh, uh, only by those things that take him away from his beloved. There's kind of a, perhaps to me, slightly humorous passage here. Um, May all work that is done for you delight me, Lord, and all repose not centered on your presence be wearisome. The concept of, of a wearisome repose, <laughs> I don't know. To me, that they're almost synonyms. But, um, but, but I think by repose, he doesn't mean taking a nap. I mean, he means those things that, that we try to take delight in, that, that everything that, we, that would delight us would be delightful because somehow it is found in God, that all, everything we see is beautiful would be beautiful because we see the divine light suffusing it. Um, so that, that, will, that desire to order himself um, in so many ways, really, is 
as Brother Bartholomew was saying, it's not, it's not tied to a particular circumstance in the life and to a particular project, but it's really tied to your whole life, and, it's, and, it, and it connects to everything that you do. Yeah, and I, I think what you said there about harmony and being in tune and then the, the idea of beauty is very important and brings us back to what we were talking about at the beginning with uh, Charles Darwin and the idea that uh, one can eventually kind of lose the, the ability to appreciate the, the higher values because beauty, the, the ability to grasp beauty is the ability to see the, the proportions that are in things, that things are ordered in a specific way, an appealing way, a beautiful way. You see it in the, the golden ratio that appears throughout the, the world, uh, throughout all of nature, because the, these, these different patterns that follow the Fibonacci sequence uh, lead to a, a, a ratio that's appealing to the eye. Just as that appears in nature throughout all of the, all of the created world, uh, God has uh, established an order of beauty. And we can recognize this better the more that we're in tune in harmony with God. And so the prayer is something that helps to uh, redirect our, our minds to the, the right order uh, and the right proportions of things. Whereas uh, when, when we sin when, or, or even when we focus too much on just worldly things, which you can see a little bit in the idea of Charles Darwin, who was a, a very empirical scientist. He was studying the world. And I, I think even more than perhaps the left brain, right brain distinction, the, the material versus the spiritual mm-hmm. distinction is right. important. And that it's focusing too much on the imp- material that we lose the appreciation for those higher qualities that are beyond uh, the material. I'd go more radically even and say, you know, when you're just functioning with data and numbers, you're dealing with something which is an abstraction from the world as it is. You know, there's harmony, beauty, and order in nature. There's, you know, which is reflected in human art. Uh, you, if you if you if you're just crunching numbers, if it's all about the numbers, the mere data, you lose the ability to see uh, a larger picture. I mean, I think when we talk about, you know, the need for um, silence, if you want, I mean, that's sort of the notion of an unruffled mind. You know, a pool of water can't reflect the gorgeousness of the sky unless it's calm, unless the surface is unruffled, unmoving. Uh, It's only then in that kind of interior silence that you have the ability, I think, to see the depths of the beauty that is around us. And that itself is um, a song God sings to our own soul to attract us, seduce us, bring us close to him. If you're constantly involved in the abstractions, you're not going to see these things. Well, in the last, last few minutes in this program, let's, let's just talk about one more prayer uh, that is attributed to St. Thomas, the prayer of praise and thanksgiving. Now, I want you to contrast this with a passage in the Gospel where there is a Pharisee who is praying to God in the temple, and it says, I thank you, God, that I am not like these other people, that I tithe, that I do this, that I do that. Um, and so I'd like you to contrast that with this prayer of St. Thomas. I praise, glorify, and bless you, my God, for the immeasurable favors shown to me who am unworthy. I praise your kind forbearance waiting on me for so long and your gentleness appearing in the guise of a sharp reprisal. I praise your tenderness calling out to me, 
your kindness supporting me, your mercy for giving my sins. I praise your goodness for giving me more than I deserve and your patience for not remembering past injuries. I praise your humility that consoles me, your patience that protects me, your eternity that preserves me, your truth that rewards me. What can I say, my God, about your ineffable generosity? For you call back the fugitive, you welcome the one who returns, you support the one who falters, you gladden the despondent, you urge on the negligent, you arm the warrior, you crown the victor. You spurn not the repentant sinner, you do not remember past crimes. You set us free from many perils, you soften our hearts for penitence. You frighten us with chastisements. You entice us with promises. You correct us with scourges. You guard us with a ministering angel. Temporal things you supply for us. Eternal things you keep for us in reserve. You inspire us with the grandeur of creation. You draw us forward with the mercy of redemption. You promise us blessings and reward. For all these things I cannot give sufficient praise. I give thanks, however, to your majesty for the abundance of your immense goodness. May you always increase your grace in me, preserve that increase, and reward what you have preserved. Amen. Any brief comments on this, Brother Bartholomew or Father Stephen? I, it, it's just incredibly striking about the, the praise that he gives to God, especially for the, the past actions that God has done in his life. Uh, he praises God both for who he is and also for, for what he's done, uh, not just in his life, but in the life of all believers and what he does for all of his faithful people. As I said, I think there is this, um, you know, he's the recipient of great graces, uh, great goods, and as he confronts God in his prayer, he he takes uh, the same uh, kind of attitude that the publican does, you know, honest about his fault. Uh, uh, you know, the publican in the temple from the same uh, parable you were talking about. You talked about the Pharisee, but then there's the publican who cries out, you know, Jesus, you know, God have mercy in me, a sinner. You know, the Jesus' prayer in the Eastern Church is like it. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he, in dressing uh, deity, uh, puts himself in a right place, thanking God for the gifts being given, thanking for the the, the reproaches and corrections received. Sometimes I think we're not probably as appreciative of God's corrections as we might be. Thank you for joining us today for the Dominican Dimension. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I've been joined in the studio by my confreres, Father Stephen Dominic Hayes and Brother Bartholomew Maria Calvano. Let's end now in prayer, invoking the intercession of our holy founder, St. Dominic. O light of the Church, teacher of truth, rose of patience, ivory of chastity, freely you have poured forth the waters of wisdom, preacher of grace, unite us with the blessed. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com.